Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, ha- again, happy Father's Day, dads. Uh, so thankful for you guys and a way to go on showing up on Father's Day and taking your family to worship God, our Heavenly Father. It's a great, it's a great way to, to celebrate Father's Day. Uh, so I've got three kids. Uh, two, my two boys are just finished third grade, and uh, they've had really awesome teachers. And they're the kind of teachers that show up at uh, events outside of school, you know, those, I mean, it's like really, really cool teachers, and uh, like they'll come to their bas- the boys' basketball game or something like that. What's funny, though, is watching how Camp and Enoch respond when they see their teachers outside of school. You know, I don't know if you remember like being in elementary school and like seeing your teachers outside school and they're like kind of freaking out. It's like it's, they have one idea of what their teachers do. They just think their teachers like live at the school and teach all day. And like to see them outside of this classroom is just bizarre for them. They just kind of just weirds them out. I, I share that because I think that we kind of view God uh, that way. That sometimes we have this kind of one idea of what God does, and to think about him doing anything else is just kind of, it's just weird for us. It's kind of bizarre. Like, for example, like when you think about what God is doing or what God does, what comes to your mind? Like, what do you think about when you think about what God is doing? Like, some, some people might, might think that he is uh, up in heaven looking down at you, making sure you're not doing anything wrong. Make sure you're doing what's right and just kind of judging you all the time. Not maybe a perfect father kind of view of God, but many people have that view of God. Uh, or perhaps God is just up in heaven receiving our praise, especially on Sundays. You think about what he's doing. He's just kind of sitting there listening to all the people over the world singing songs to him and that kind of stuff. Or, or just answering prayers, you know, and just like Bruce Almighty, you know, kind of idea of yes, no, you know, all the email, email prayers come up to him. You know, whatever. Or, or perhaps he's just chilling at the pearly gates welcoming people. As, they, as they've died and are walking into heaven. And that's, I don't know, what, what do you picture God doing when you picture what God is doing? Uh, one of the reasons I love the book of Acts is because in, in the book of Acts, you just get this, this beautiful picture of that, that God is not distant from or set apart from his, his creation from, or from us, but that he is actively at work here amongst us and, and in us to accomplish his mission of reconciling people to himself and restoring the world, making all things new. In fact, the, the, the Latin word uh, missio literally means sent. And we get the word mission from that word, missio. And like I said, it, it literally means sent. And when, when you think about how God has revealed himself in Scripture, we see that God is a God that is a sending God and a going God. Have you ever thought about that? Like God the Father, he sends his son, Jesus, God the Son. And God the Son willingly goes. He comes to earth and he lives a life that we're supposed to live. He dies the death we deserve to die. He, he makes the way for us to be reconciled to God and, and, and brought into salvation with him through faith. That that's what Jesus does. And then in the book of Acts, we see in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says that the, that the Spirit, God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will be sent. And that he will come amongst Christ's followers to empower them to be Jesus' witnesses starting in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, does come. He, he goes and he fills the church 
with his power, and they spill out in the streets of Jerusalem, and they start proclaiming the gospel and the good news of Christ, and many people are saved. Like, in all of those ways, you see that within the Trinity, within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, you have a God on mission, sending and going in order to restore the world, to make all things new, to reconcile people to himself. Now, I want to I think just go back to the question, okay, what do you picture when you think of what God is doing? And just to say, hey, at least a part of the answer to that question ought to be, if you're thinking biblically, that God is sending and God is going in his mission. That's what God is doing. That's the picture that we get in the book of Acts. And, and so when you think about it that way, then, then the next question would be, is, okay, well, what's the result of God and his mission? What's the result of, of God on mission? And in the passage that we're going to get to look at today, it kind of gives us the answer to that. In fact, we're going to be looking in, at Acts chapter 12, verse 25, the last verse in that chapter, and then the first four verses of Acts 13. And this is going to be kind of the, the, the end of the series that we've been in, uh, on and off again throughout this whole last year in the book of Acts. And so we're going to wrap it up today, and, and we're wrapping up with this passage because it's a great passage that really serves as a bit of a, an end cap to all that has taken place up to this point in Acts, and really a jumping off point to all that will follow in the, uh, the rest of Acts. And what we'll see, though, is this chapter really highlights, really draws out the answer to the question, what's the result of a God on mission? And so, if you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 12. We'll pick up in verse 25. Uh, you can go there in your Bible or your app or wherever. We'll also have the words up here on the slide for us to follow along in that way. But let me just read Acts 12, verse 25, and uh, explain a little bit of the context here. It says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, a little context, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you remember in Acts chapter 11, Saul and Barnabas had been in Antioch, and they had helped establish a thriving church in Antioch, and they had spent about a year there with them. And then at the near the end of that year, they collected some money from the church in Antioch to take to the church in Judea or Jerusalem because they were the church in Jerusalem was suffering under persecution and a famine. And so they left Antioch to bring that gift from Antioch to the church in Jerusalem. But this verse is saying, okay, having done that mission, Saul and Barnabas, they're, they're headed back to Antioch, and they brought with them their friend, uh, John Mark. And then, so that's context for you. Chapter, uh, verse 13 says, uh, or chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Now friends, what is captured here changed the world. And I'll flesh that out for us in a minute. But first, I just want to ask us to pray that the Spirit would speak to us and, and, tell, and say to us what he would have us hear. Heavenly Father, God, would you speak to us through your word? Spirit, would you be with us now? Would you, as we worship, as we listen to you would, you, would you guide us? Would you speak to us? May you give us ears to hear what you 
have to say, that we would be quick to obey and trust, knowing that you are good and loving and all wise God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this short little passage, it's got three basic movements to it. You probably can easily pick up on that. Verse, verse 1 is just kind of a list of who the leaders are in this church in Antioch. Verse 2 it tells us what they were doing when they're fasting and praying, what happened while they were doing that. And then verses 3 and 4 just simply uh, what, how they respond, what, what resulted from that. But what I think is fascinating about this passage is that in each element of those kind of three movements, there's, there's, there's something that highlights uh, the result of God on mission. There's something that draws out, like here's what the result is, the fact that God is a missional God, he, that he is actively working to reconcile people to himself. And so that's really what I want us to zero in on this morning. And so we'll begin with the question, okay, what's the result of our God on mission? And, and, and look, just look at verse 1, first thing to draw out. This is, do you notice that in this uh, verse, Luke intentionally mentions all these leaders by name. And, and he tells us something about the ones that we haven't been introduced yet in, uh, to in the, in the book of Acts. So like he mentions a little bit extra detail about Lucius and Cyrene and Menaean. What's interesting about that and why, why we shouldn't just skip over that is because uh, even though these guys are never mentioned again in the book of Acts and never mentioned again in the rest of Scripture, it's like Luke is trying to communicate. So he wants us to know something about these guys. And you think, okay, well, why? Why, what, what, why give us this detail? And guys, it's, it's because of this. He's wanting us to see that the result of a God on mission is that people of different ethnicities and races and social economic standings have been reconciled to God and to each other. See, because in, in this list of Antioch's five leaders, there's, there's Saul, who we know before is, is from Tarsus, and that uh, he, along with Barnabas, were Hellenistic Jews, which means they were you know, ethnic Jews who adapted to Greek culture. But there's also Simeon. Who, was, who we are told was called Niger, which literally means black, and most likely was from a region in, in sub-Saharan Africa. And we're told that Lucius was from Cyrene, which is located in modern-day Libya. And Menaean was from Herod's household. Specifically, this is Herod who ruled before Herod Agrippa, the, guy that, the king that we were looking at last week in chapter 12, and which means that Menaean was a, a member of Jewish aristocracy. Put all that together, you got a list of five leaders. One is from the Middle East, one is from Asia, one is from the Mediterranean, and two are from Africa. They're of different races, different cultures, different economic classes, and all serving together in a church located in the southern part of what is modern-day Turkey. <laughs> How in the world did that happen, Right? And just captured in that one little verse, you've got this picture of a, this, this incredible diversity amongst the leaders in this church in Antioch. And you think, okay, how do, what brings that about? And again, implied in here, friends, is that this is the result of a God on mission. That this is the result that God is working to get the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection out to the ends of the earth so that people from Africa and the Mediterranean and, and Asia and, and all, like all over this, this area have already heard the gospel, responded to it with faith, and are now helping start a church in the southern part of modern-day 
Turkey, and that they're all equally gifted by God, that they're, they're both prophets and teachers here amongst the, 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 the different races and ethnicities and cultures, working together because they've been reconciled to God and through that also reconciled to one another. In verse 2, you see that they're worshiping and fasting. They're doing that without, uh, without any kind of priest present because they don't need a priest present. They're able to do that directly with God because Jesus is their high priest and their advocate and their intercessor. And so they have full access to God because they've been fully reconciled to God, and they're doing that in connection. Because they, like, this is what, guys, this is what is the result of a God on mission. He reconciles people to himself, and he reconciles people to one another. I think about uh, how you know Luke, as the author of Acts, also the author of the Gospel of, of Luke. And you know, when I'm reading this, I'm just thinking, man, this is just this, this is a powerful picture of what Luke told us the angels proclaimed the night that Jesus was born. You know, one of those passages you look at every summer, I mean, every Christmas, Luke chapter 2, we're told that the, the angels shouted this to the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. As what we have here described in Acts 13 verse 1 is the outworking of that proclamation. That because of Jesus, because God has come, to rescue and redeem and, and reconcile those that, which, those that were lost. And as they have responded to that message, God's favor rests, and now there is what? There's peace between them and God, and there's peace between them and different nationalities, different ethnicities, different cultures. Because what's the result of a God on mission? The result of God on mission is peace on whom his favor rests. It's a peace that we all long for. This is why peace, this picture of peace is why the, the fact that God is a God on mission is such incredibly good news. I mean, what do we want? We want peace on earth. What's bringing that about? It, our God is. This is what he's after. Bringing peace between us and him and peace with one another. Such great news. Last night we had a partner gathering with our church, and um, we do those once a quarter, and it's just an awesome time. For those that, are, you know, that can make it, that are partners within Midtown, they, we get together, we eat dinner together, and we share stories about what God is doing in our, in our lives and in the life of our church. And It's just a lot of fun getting to hear these stories. And last night, I just reminded again that what God is doing here in the first century church, he's doing also here in the 21st century in Austin. That we hear stories about people having trusted Christ or a specific friend that had come to know Christ three weeks ago. And that it's just a story of God reconciling people to himself. And we hear stories of, of people uh, enjoying deep community with one another. And even got to experience some of that last night as we were praying for one another. But here are stories that uh, one, one, Wes and Sarah shared about how much they love their MC, their, their, their small group, and, and how even though there's this wide, uh, wide range of, of ages, great diversity amongst ages in this group, they have this common love for each other that comes out of the fact that they all know Jesus and are committed to loving him and loving one another with, with Jesus. And so it's, it's Jesus reconciling people to each other or un, uniting people to one another. I mean, it's, it's, it's what this is played out here. Why? Because that's what God is doing, friends. This is what God is doing. Which should lead us to a next question, uh, which is, okay, well then what's the result 
of worshiping a God on mission? What's the result of worshiping a God on mission? And the next verse, verse 2 here, kind of gives us a picture of what the result was for the church in Antioch. Let me read it for us again. It says this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay, now, we don't know exactly what the occasion was for that, you know, when this all went down. It says that they were worshiping, and so some people think maybe there was just a, a, like a Sunday, Sunday gathering of the church, worshiping God, and this happened. It also says that they were fasting. Fasting seems to imply that it's a, kind of a longer season of time. Um, and so perhaps this, was, this wasn't just a one time of worship, but a season of seeking God that was taking place that included fasting. But regardless, while they're worshiping God, while they're fasting, it's the Holy Spirit comes and gives them direct guidance and an invitation to join God in what he's doing, to join him in his mission. Uh, and so there's this connection here. Do you see that? Between worshiping and the call to join God on the mission. John Piper, uh, commenting on this verse, uh, he says this. He says, Luke clearly wants us to see a connection between worshiping the Lord and receiving the decisive guidance of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Daryl Bach, in his commentary on Acts, he puts it this way. He says, in the church of Antioch, worship and mission appear side by side as key and interrelated tasks of the church. Key and interrelated tasks of the church. Now, think about it. Why, why would the worship of God... And, and being swept up in the mission of God, go hand in hand. Well, it's because when you worship God in light of who he is, in light of what he's doing, that he's a God on mission, that he's a God that goes, and he's a God that sends. And when you recognize that the, 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 the whole reason that you're worshiping him with confidence that he's your father and that he hears your prayers and all that kind of stuff. The whole reason you have that confidence is because he's a God on mission. Because he's come after you. That he pursued you not to condemn you, but to save you. That he came to die in your place. And Jesus on the cross, that Jesus willingly was condemned in our place, forsaken by the Father so that we could be adopted in. That all of this is brought about because God is who he is and he's doing what he's doing. Then does that not move you, compel you, resonate with you that this is who God is? And you're so thankful that that's who he is. And then... He comes in the midst of that worship of him, seeking him in light of who he is, and says, hey, hey, I did all that so you can be with me, to be with me. Jesus died for you so you can be reconciled to me. You can be with me. I want to be with you. And so come on, come with me, because here's what I'm doing. I'm at work in the world to restore it, to make all things new, to reconcile people, and I want, I want to do that with you. I want you to join me in that. And that's why these two things, they, they go hand in hand. And so in the context of their worship in Antioch, the Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, implying here is how I want you to join me in my mission. I want some of you to be senders, just like I'm ascending God. And so your part is to send out Barnabas and Saul, two of their very best leaders, 
sacrificial to do that. But he says, no, this is what I want you. I want you to send out. Just the father sent his son. I want you to send out Paul and Saul and Barnabas. And then he says, also implied in this, or more specific, is I want some of you to be goers. You know, just as I'm a going God. And so Barnabas and Saul, I want you to go. Okay, friends, I wonder, does this, does this line up with your experience of worship? Does this, when you read this and what happened in Antioch, do, do you, like, is there something that you're like, yeah, I relate to that? Or, or is this kind of a foreign idea? See, I think that it's, it's commonplace to, to view God as a kind of static God. And we gather here on Sunday, and he's in heaven, and he hears our, prayer, he hears our prayers, and he hears our praise, and then we leave. He's still up in heaven, and he's doing his thing. But like, that's not, that's not the full biblical view of who God is. Certainly, he, he hears our prayers and all that stuff, but he's active, like we're talking about. He's doing something. And I just wonder if you can relate to this feeling of, man, in light of the truth that because God is on mission, I have, if you place your faith in Christ, you can say, I'm, I know him. I know my sins are forgiven. I have confidence. I have a relation with him because of who he is. And in light of all that he's done for me, I am moved to really seek him and seek direction that would cause you to set time aside to, to worship him and even fast, like really give a period of time to seek him and his direction for you. Do you ever do that? I would encourage you to do that if you don't. And, and I'm not talking about like, you know, all the time. You got to eat some point in time. But like to set some time aside and say, okay, there's going to be a period of time where I'm going to choose to really fast and seek God's direction in light of he's on mission and what he's done for me. I'm moved to join him in that. And then I also just wonder, as, as you worship God, is it ever your experience that you hear his nud- nudging you, you, you sense him saying, here's how I want you to join me. Here's, what, here's an opportunity for you to, to jump in with me in what I'm doing. To go and t- you know, talk to this person, serve this person. Do, do you ever hear that? Do you ever sense that? Now, listen, I know hearing from God like that is, is mysterious and it's challenging. <laughs> You're kind of like, I don't even really know what that would be like. And listening just in general is hard, right? I mean, I'm talking about listening to God, but like just listening in general. In fact, this, <laughs> this week, uh, I've got a five-year-old uh, daughter, Della. Uh, Krista was spending some time with her one-on-one, and, and Krista asked Della, hey, Della, um, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to do in your life? And Della, without skipping a beat, says, listening, Mom, listening is the hardest thing I ever have to do. And we thought, hmm, that's, that's going to be great as, that, as she becomes a teenager. But um, I think we can relate to that, right? I mean, listening to God and listening in general is, is hard. Guys, that's why I think it's worth mentioning, again, that the church in Antioch, the leaders in Antioch, they, they were intentionally pursuing God to hear from him. Like they were worshiping and fasting. They were really seeking his guidance. Because it takes intentionality to hear from God. And they were doing it in community. And so that whenever God would speak, they could say, okay, well, here's what I think God's saying. And like, let's do what he's saying. And that community aspect is so, so helpful. Friends, I would encourage you. 
Take time to intentionally listen to him. Perhaps pick a time to fast. Perhaps pick a time with your MC or your huddle or a group of friends to fast and seek God's direction. To worship him and to hear from him. Chris and I were setting out to start Midtown uh, Church. There was a whole season when we would just uh, sit down with our with, with friends and, and talk to them about Central Austin. We would share stories and, 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 and stats and all that stuff about how in Central Austin is part of Austin. Um, you know, 4% of the people here attend a church. And 76% of the people here, are, are uh, they do not have a relationship with Jesus and therefore do not know what God has done for them or know God's love for them. Say so three out of every four people. It's just, you know, it's, it's wild to think about. We talk about the campus and how there's 50,000 students over there and, and how 88% of them are, are disconnected from a church. And they say, okay, there's just tons of, just tons of, of need here. And then we would just ask people, would you, would you consider praying and seeking God for his direction on whether he would have you join us in starting this church. And we began meeting together for the purpose of just encouraging one another to continue to seek whether God would have us start this church together. And during that time, people were praying and we were fellowshipping together and some people were fasting at different times to try to really get God's direction on this is what God would have them do. And, and one by one, one family after one family, God would direct them. Some, he would say no, and they would not go, but they helped send. And others, they felt God saying, go. And 14 families or households, some single, some married, moved from different parts of Austin into central Austin, selling homes oftentimes that were much bigger to rent homes in central Austin that were much smaller in order to join God in what he's doing to get the gospel to every man, woman, child in central Austin so they'd have a chance to hear it from someone who loves them. I share that story just to say, guys, God still does this. He still directs people as they seek him to say, God, what would you have me do? How would you have me join you. And he speaks and he invites just like what we see happening here in verse 2. You want to figure out how that happens or what that looks like? I can, can come talk to me. I can point you to a number of people in our church family that would love to tell you their story and help you learn how to do this personally. Okay, last thing here that we see in this passage is that uh, it's just kind of a hint at what happens, what results when you choose to join God on his mission. The result of joining God on his mission. The hint here is verses 3 and 4. It says this, So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Now, that verse 4 marks the very beginning of Saul, who, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, the very beginning of his three missionary journeys. All of those missionary journeys began in Antioch. He would begin in Antioch, be sent out from there, he'd do a journey, come back to Antioch, and then the same thing, all three of them. That this, was, this church remains to be a sending church, Paul and Barnabas uh, going to represent and imitate God and going with him to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and I think I've got a map here that just shows a little bit. You can't read all that. But if you could see those arrows, you would see that the result of what happens in this moment literally has a giant widespread effect. The result of joining God in his mission is this. For Saul and Barnabas, 
And for the other three guys who sent them, and that whole church of Antioch who sent them, as within two and a, two and a half centuries, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. That in large part because of what God did through Saul and through Barnabas, getting the gospel all, all the way eventually to Rome, it had literally world-changing impact. To where, in large part because of this, 2.2 billion people in the world today confess that they are adherents to the Christian faith. Like this, guys, changed the world. It really did. It changed the world. That prior to this moment, there's no record of the church having any kind of organized effort to get the gospel outside of the Mediterranean East, uh, region. But here, as the Spirit led, and remember, Spirit was the source of this. He's the one who said, set them apart. I'm going to go, as verse 4 says, as they went with the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, they went. Like the Holy again, God is the one making this happen. But as God made it happen, people all over the place started hearing the good news of the gospel and coming to faith. And the ripple effects are even felt today. I mean, you can, it's not an exaggeration to say that we're here worshiping God in Austin, Texas because of what happened in verses 1 through 4 in Acts chapter 13. Now, that didn't happen because Saul and Barnabas were awesome. And it didn't happen because the church in Antioch was so awesome that they would send them out. It, it happened because God is awesome. And because God is doing this, Saul and Barnabas and, and the church in Antioch, Antioch they, they just didn't miss out on what God was doing. Like God is the active one. It, God is the one on mission. He's the one who's working to reconcile people to himself and restore and make the world new. He's doing it. They just jumped in. When given the invitation by the Spirit and said, set these guys apart, and they said, yes. That's what they did. They said, yes. And as they joined him, they got to be a part of this. Guys, that's guys, that's how God works. That He invites us to join Him in it. We get the opportunity to say yes and go with Him in doing what He is doing to restore the world. It's such a pleasure. I love what uh, Philip Yancey, how he describes this partnership. Philip Yancey in his book on prayer, he says it this way: He says, The accounts and acts present a double agency that makes it impossible to distinguish God's work from the Christian's work. The partnership binds so tight that it becomes hard to distinguish who is doing what, God or the human partner. God has come that close. As when we talk as a church about partnering with God, we mean that. That it's a pleasure, it's a joy, it's, it's, it's a privilege that we, get, that, we, that we get invited into what God is doing to bring peace to the world to bring peace to those between him, him and, and those that were his enemies, but that he demonstrated his love for so much that Christ died for them. And that they get to hear that good news and have that peace with God and have that peace with one another as they're unified in Christ. Like we get to join with him in that. And the result of it can literally change the world. 
Now, I know that's like crazy like talk, right? It's like, well, yeah, pastor got a little carried away, and we're talking about changing the world again and all that kind of stuff, and sometimes I do that. But like, I, I want you to see, like this, like, this isn't just the Saul and Barnabas thing. Like, let me just tell you a story. Um, back in 1985, about 33 years ago, there were 17 people. 17 people who, who were friends, and they felt called by God to start a new church. And so these 17 people started working to start a new church, and they ended up naming that church Hill Country Bible Church. They're located in northwest Austin. And about 10 years later, as so that church grew, they decided, you know what, we, we need to not just start this church, but we, we, in light of God's mission, we feel called by him to join him in, in being this kind of going and sending church that reflects what God is like. And so they started a second church. Some of the people in that church left. They went. Some of those in the church sent them. They started Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. Nate, our normal drummer up here, his dad is the pastor of that church. Then that church decided, okay, let, let's keep doing that. And so they planted another church. They planted another church. They started, kept starting churches. And some of the churches that they started did likewise. And they started other churches. And so then you have churches that were born that then gave birth to other churches. And that's kind of multi-generational thing. One of those churches that the, the first Hill Country Church started was Hill Country Pflugerville. And that church started Midtown Church. We came from them. That 26 years after, or 22 years, after Hill Country uh, Bible Church decided to start their first church, 22 years later, there are now 26 churches in Austin as a result. That there's, you know, you got a map up here. Because, now, hear this. 17 people 33 years ago felt called by God to join him in his mission to, to bring the gospel to the city of Austin. That one day every man, woman, child in Austin would hear the gospel from someone who loves them. 17 people 33 years ago. Now there are more churches in existence than the original amount of people that started the first church. In these 26 churches in Austin, there are now a little over 25,000 people gathered together amongst these congregations. Now, that's significant because in greater Austin, the, the, the population currently is 2.2 billion people. I mean, million people. Whew, billion. <laughs> now I am getting carried away. 2.2 million people. And that's a lot of people. And when we talk about getting the gospel every man, woman, child, you think, man, that's like, uh, really? 2.2 million? How is that ever going to happen? But hear this. In 33 years, 17 people became 25,000 people. And 25,000 people is a little bit more than 1% of the population of greater Austin. Because, because God is on mission, he can do the impossible. And if we would choose to join him in it, then we can be a part of what he's doing. And that 1% in the next few years, in our lifetime, literally in our lifetime, that 1% could become 10%. Perhaps more than that. But if, even if it's just 10%, it's not unreasonable to think that 10% of Austin, 
that are connected to a church. And it doesn't have to be a Hill Country church. Just any church that believes the gospel and these people, 10% of our church or 10% of our city connected to a church that's helping them grow in their relation with God and love God and join God in his mission. If they, they would turn around and share the gospel to nine other people, just nine other people, every man, woman, child in our city would hear the gospel. That's, that's Midtown's heritage. We, we exist because of that. 17 people. As what can result from joining God on his mission? I'll tell you, it could change. It can change a city. It can change a world. It can absolutely change a life. As what do you picture when you think about what God is doing? Do you see it that he is a sending and going God? When you worship him, do you worship him in light of the fact that because he is a going, sending and going God, you have been saved? Because he came to rescue you. And when you recognize that and you hear him nudge you to say, hey, will you go with me? What will you say? What will you say? May we give God praise in light of who he is and what he's done. And may we join him in bringing peace, bringing reconciliation between God and man and within each other as well. Yes, may we join him. See the day that every man, woman, child in Austin and beyond hears the gospel for someone who loves them. We're going to end the message by taking communion. We do this every Sunday, and, and, and uh, you know, you, the table's up front and in the back. It's, communion's open to anyone who uh, has placed their faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. We just ask that you really believe what you're taking when you take communion, and we're remembering that Jesus died for us. Um, but uh, you can come and do that any time during the next uh, set of worship songs. We'll sing three more songs to respond and praise to God. But guys, as you take communion, there's two things I would ask that you would do. Two things that you would reflect on. The first is, as you hold the bread and you hold the cup, just take a minute to remember. Like the reason that, that we do this is to remember that Jesus came after us. That our God on mission came to rescue us. That he died for us that we can be reconciled to God. And just praise God for the fact that because of who he is and what he's done, you know that your sins have been forgiven and you're promised a relation with him forever. Give praise to him. And then the second thing I want to really encourage you to do as you take communion, if you're so willing, is just to pause and, and, and say something like this to God. I mean, use, use your own words, but say something like this. Lord Jesus, I know I have a long way to go, and I deeply need and appreciate your grace, but I want you to know I want to join you in your mission to reconcile people back to you. And whether you want me to go across the street or across the town or across the world, I'm in. I belong to you because you came for me. Show me that you would have what you'd have me do for your glory and the good of our city and world. I just encourage you, say something like that to him during this time. Let me pray and the communion table will be open to you. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the good news that you are a God on mission. And as a result, uh, we can know you, that you have made the way for us to be 
restored back into a relation with you through Christ's death and resurrection. As we take communion now, God, we remember that and we praise you. God, I pray that also during this time, the Spirit, you would even nudge us, you would even speak to us here to invite us to join you in your mission. And God, I pray that you would lead us to say yes. And Lord, the result would be that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and that our city would be filled with good news that would bring great joy. In Christ's name we pray, amen.